Welcome to the Gospel Reverb Podcast. Gospel Reverb is an audio gathering for preachers, teachers, and Bible thrill seekers. Each month, our host, Anthony Mullins, will interview a new guest to gain insights and preaching nuggets mined from select passages of Scripture in that month's Revised Common Lectionary. The podcast's passion is to proclaim and boast in Jesus Christ, the one who reveals the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, on to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the latest episode of Gospel Reverb. Gospel Reverb is a podcast devoted to bringing you insights from Scripture found in the Revised Common Lectionary and sharing commentary from a Christ-centered and Trinitarian view. I'm your host, Anthony Mullins, and it's my delight to welcome this month's guest, Pastor Al Korjava. Al is a pastor in Grace Communion International who is in his 17th year serving two churches in Seaford and Morwell, Australia, in the state of Victoria. Also for 10 years, he was a national youth coordinator and camp director for SCP Australia. Al is currently wrapping up his post-grad work on a master's degree in theological studies at Grace Communion Seminary, and he's married to the delight of his life, Elizabeth, and they have four children, two girls and two boys, ranging in ages 12 to 19. Al, thank you for being with me today. Welcome to the podcast, and for those in our listening audience who may not be familiar with you, We'd love to know a little bit about your story, and I especially want to know the part of the story where you ended up in Australia, because I've known you since the 1990s. We went to undergrad together in Texas, and uh, down under is a long way from Texas, so how in the world did you end up there? Uh, Well, first, just thank you for having me on the show, Anthony. I am so hyped, and I'm not sure if it's because I get to do what I love, which is talking about Bible passages, or whether I'm hyped on coffee, drinking it after 5 p.m. tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, either way, sometimes when uh, people ask me about my story, I tend to uh, think of Paul when he says, I was a Hebrew born of the tribe of Benjamin and uh, Pharisee of the Pharisees, because my parents met at a church singles function. Um, They didn't actually like each other, but that's where they met, and they ended up uh, writing each other, getting married, and so I have uh, grown up in the church, and it's uh, just, it's all I know, and I love it. I love having grown up in the church, and uh, yeah, so I uh, ended up going to a Bible college, and then I, at the Bible college, I got to go to a wonderful um, camp for youth. And right after I graduated, I ended up uh, working at that summer camp, my fourth or sixth year up there. And I ended up uh, falling in love with a beautiful redheaded Aussie. Hmm. And uh, she still had one more year of Bible college to go. And so when she finished up, we got married. We lived in North Carolina for about four years. And I grew, growing up, I lived all over in the US, Florida, New York, North Carolina, Texas, Utah. So when people ask me where I'm from, I'm like all over, and it's also one of the beautiful. Re- um, one of the things is, is I never picked up an accent moving all around. So now that uh, we ended up moving back to Australia, so she could be close to her family, where we wanted to raise our kids, so they're close to her parents because they love being grandparents. They were they were made for that. And I've now been here in Australia for 20 years. I've got uh, my Australian citizenship. And after 20 years, as far as I know, I still don't have an Aussie accent. 
<laughs> you don't. I'm a little disappointed, Al. Uh, you know, part of uh, blending in with your community is sounding like them too. But you, you sound like you're from the Midwest, brother. Yeah. Well, I, I as I tell everyone, um, I'm such a great pastor because uh, everyone can understand me. I don't have an accent, which the Aussies <laughs> all seem to laugh at. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great to have you on here. We've known each other for a long time, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really fun to have two buddies come around scripture and talk about our Lord Jesus Christ together. So let's get on with it. It's that time. And here are the four Bible passages that we're going to discuss. Romans chapter 15, 4 through 13. We're calling it the welcome mat. Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55, a mama's praise. Matthew 1, 18 through 25, God with us. And finally, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 14 and 15 through 20, joy for all people. Let me read the first pericope of the month. It's Romans chapter 15, 4 through 13. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Advent 2 on December the 4th. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we could have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude toward each other, similar to Christ Jesus' attitude. That way you can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together with one voice. So welcome each other in the same way that Christ also welcomed you for God's glory. I'm saying that Christ became a servant of those who are circumcised for the sake of God's truth in order to confirm the promises given to the ancestors and so that the Gentiles could glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, because of this, I will confess you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. And again, it says, rejoice, Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and all the people should sing his praises. And again, Isaiah says, there will be a root of Jesse who will also rise to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will place their hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and faith so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Al, what does this passage unveil about the God revealed in Jesus Christ? Oh, man, so many good things. <laughs> first, yes. first off, what, what jumps out at me is just that line in verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement. You know, Jesus doesn't ask us to endure out of our own strength and endurance. God is the God of endurance and encouragement. Uh, I did a sermon in 2 Thessalonians this past week, and there's this line there that says, God is the God of eternal encouragement. I just Mm -hmm. love that line, eternal encouragement. So Jesus isn't asking us to endure from our own strength or our own endurance. And that's where there's that sense of peace, because it's God who is the God of encouragement and endurance. It's his endurance that we see displayed in Jesus through his whole physical life, his ministry and his endurance all the way through the cross and the grave and the resurrection. It's his endurance that we now get to participate in. And uh, you just, you, you look at this passage where he talks about the Gentiles and you see that God is always bigger than we make him out to be. He's more inclusive, sorry, more inclusive, more encompassing. His plans are larger and bigger than what we think. Uh, 
part of this Christian journey as disciples is that we're always learning that God is so much bigger, so much broader. His plans are so much more all-encompassing than we can think of. We're always having to readjust just how big this God is that that loves us. Yeah, I've, I've heard it said, Al, that uh, if you ever cross a line where you think you've gone too far and saying, well, God, is, it's just too good to be true. You, you can't actually get there. You, you know, you think you may have, but like you were saying, it's it's life is this ongoing repentance where our minds are being blown and changed by the reality of the God revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's so much better than our fallen imagination can get to, right? And uh, thanks be to God that it is his endurance and his encouragement. So what are the implications, both corporately and personally, to welcome each other in the same way Christ has welcomed us? What say you? Um, Just one more thing on that past question, and then I'll answer that one was one of the other things that jumped out in this passage to me was that hope comes first, that Mm. it's not our plans and preparing, right? We do all that. We make our plans and we pray everything, and then we hope for the best. We have a hope in a God who is faithful. So we hope in Him, uh, and then we make our plans and preparing, and and it comes out of that hope of what we're doing. And, and the difference there is between us making our plans and that's the center and then God takes up any slack versus God is the center. The God of encouragement, the God of hope is at the center. And then because of who he is, then it's born out of us knowing how to re- and being in relation to him that we then do things and make our plans and all that out of that hope. So that was just one other thought from that passage I wanted to bring out. Uh, And then you asked about the implications, both corporately and personally. Well, reading this passage, I thought back to uh, Paul, who's writing this, and a guy named Ananias and a guy named Barnabas. Because Paul goes and he has this, was Saul, it was his name, and he has this unbelievable encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And and then he goes in um, and he's blind, and this brother, uh, Ananias, comes and he comes to Paul and lays his hands on him and he welcomes Paul. It's this beautiful story. I just love the story of how Ananias, after talking with God, God, are you sure this is who you want me to go? You know, mm-hmm. this guy's coming to arrest us. And God goes, no, I've got plans for him. And Ananias goes and lays hands on him. And then you have Barnabas who welcomes Paul and actually takes him to meet the apostles because people were a bit scared of them. And so you see in Paul's life how he was welcomed, even with his background and his story, and yet he was welcomed. And so we then translate that into how Christ, he was welcoming of of everyone. And we see even of Saul, he welcomes Saul into into the fold um, as as he's converted. And so we now have this wonderful model of personally, we look beyond labels. Our world right now just loves doing labels. And it's going beyond labels of richer, poor, evangelical, charismatic, orthodox, capitalist, socialist, libertarian. We go beyond that and we look at the person, all of the person, we welcome them into God's embrace. We're just reflecting the embrace that God already has for them. So we do that personally in the people we meet, 
but then we also do it corporately as the church. We have open doors. We welcome people, and we let them know they belong, that as soon as they show up, they belong, that God loves them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, we, um, we trust that one died and therefore all died, and so we can no longer look at anyone from worldly uh, point of view, correct? That um, we can only see as Christ sees. And I, I can't help but think of that uh, passage in Luke 19 where God and Jesus Christ welcomes Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, mm-hmm. right? Despised right. among his own people. Uh, and, and Jesus welcomed him into his own home, right? I'm going to come stay with you, Zacchaeus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and that's that's the initiative of our Lord revealed in Jesus Christ. Well, verse 13, Al, I think is a wonderful benediction. And what would you say to someone, especially during the season of Advent, somebody who's not experiencing uh, as much joy and peace as they would desire? What's Paul declared here for all of us? Well, the first thing I would do is I would just sit with the person. I would find Mm. out where they are. I would just listen before I said anything, because the last thing I want to do is offer shallow cliches to someone who's hurting or feeling lost or possibly going through something that I've just got no experience in or no understanding, or I don't have a common ground with what they're going through. I don't want to offer, you know, simple cliches. I want to just sit with them. And then in sitting with them and listening to them, hearing their story and just being with them in whatever they're feeling, then possibly in that sitting with them, then this benediction then is lived out and it gives them that they start to feel this sense of peace because they know they've been heard. Someone has actually taken the time to listen to them. Then after doing that and making sure they're listened to, then if if they still feel like they're looking for a word from me that I I feel like they, they want me to say something into their situation, I would just share with them that we can hold peace and anxiety, hope and despair together at the same time. Mm -hmm. We're these walking paradoxes at time in that we can be experiencing multiple feelings at once. I might be uh, feeling a sense of love for my wife today and at the same time feeling anxiety for my daughter who's having a hard time at school. I, I can feel the peace of God's presence in my life and at the same time be hurting for a friend who's going through a rough time the the peace and joy of god aren't limited just to what we're feeling at the at the time in the moment the peace and joy of god are our fruit that is born out of our hope as we talked about in the last pat uh and sorry in this passage born out of our hope in a god who does not disappoint a god who is faithful a a hope in a god who's the god of eternal encouragement encouragement and endurance he will see us through whatever we're going through however long it takes he will be with us he's emmanuel and he will go through what we're going through with us so our hope mm-hmm. in god gives us a perspective of of the bigger picture the the god who came to us and takes us with them in the ascension and it is in that bigger picture beyond what we're experiencing right now or or feeling right now that bears that fruit of peace and and joy in our lives and and that's probably what i would then talk to like a larger audience like a congregation and bringing out this passage that we we all might be sitting in different spots um during the this month and with everything going on hectic and busy and joy and and we've got all these mixed feelings but 
in all of this, God is with us, and, and we focus on the big picture of the God of who we have hope in, who doesn't disappoint. He makes his promises and he fulfills them. He promised a Messiah, and the Messiah came. So we can rely on this God who keeps his promises again and again. And so our hope focuses on who God is, the God that is a God of encouragement, the God of hope. And then out of that, the peace and, and the, 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 the this benediction that, that Paul gives us, this peace that he talks about and uh, the um, joy then is born out of that hope that we have in, in him. Yeah, I, I appreciated what you said about um, just sitting with someone listening to them, making sure they feel seen and heard. I mean, it, to me, that's the marrying of gospel proclamation along with gospel demonstration. You know, it's, uh, it is just being with somebody and in that way, reflecting the truth that God is a God of hope and yeah. of all joy and peace, even in the midst of great sorrow. Uh, the paradox that you mentioned, that's mm-hmm. a, a beautiful way of expressing it. It's, it goes back to that old saying that's become somewhat cliche, but it, it's still truthful that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Right. And uh, right. that's what I hear you um, stating there. That's that's beautiful. Well, let's move on to our next pericope, which is Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Advent 3 which is December the 11th. Al, would you read it for us, please? Sure. Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone, from one generation to the next, who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Mary's Magnificat is a beloved passage of scripture, and I could tell you like it too, just the way you read it. What stands out to you in this contemplation of her song? Well, first, I usually tend to um, stick to the NIV translation. I like reading some of the others, but when uh, you mentioned that we were going to read from the Common English Bible, and I read this um, passage. I'm so glad you picked that translation mm. because what jumped out at me was right there at the beginning. With all my heart, I glorify the Lord in the depths of who I am. Mary is feeling this sense of awe and worship to the depths of her bones. It's just bubbling up out of her. And I get this sense that she couldn't stop herself from singing God's praises at this moment, even if she wanted to. Right. And I was trying to think, how, how can we re- relate to this? And I thought back to the, the concept of proposing. When, when I propose to my, my wife, th- there's that moment because you, you, you're a bit of like, what if she says no? And, and, but you propose and she says yes, and, and you're happy and all that. But I, I thought back, and it was after that, you know, 
nights afterwards, days afterwards that I was sitting there when this joy was just like, she said, yes. It was like, it was just hitting me. She said, yes, my whole life is now going to be different for the better. And to me, that that was the closest I could come to what of what Mary is feeling here is that it's just this joy that she's feeling, and and it's bubbling up, and, and it's not just this instant thing. It's something that's just percolating, and it just keeps bubbling up. The more and more she thinks about, everyone will consider me highly favored. This is something that is going to change not just me. This is going to change everything. This is going to change my generation. But this is going to change everything for all of humanity. And so she's just like, wow. And, and she just can't help but but sing and praise. And it's this is probably a th- this song probably captures how she was feeling for days and weeks, just contemplating as this little baby grows inside of her and she feels this kick. It's probably something that she just repeated to herself again and again. God is faithful and ah, yeah. I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> she said yes. That sounds like a jewelry commercial. Um, but uh, <laughs> Mary obviously said amen to God's amen to her. And she recognized that she was highly favored with God. And that favor is unique and particular to her. But let me ask you this. Can the particularity of her favoredness show us something which is universally true about all of us? And if so, how so? And if not, why not? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, you know, what, what God does for her, he, he, she says he looked with favor on the low status of his servant. And that's what he's done for all of us, because in one state, in one sense, all of us have that low status. All of us are sinners. All of us live under that, that Adam and Eve's, Eve's line. And he's done this act for all of us, this act of mercy that of Jesus, the son coming and being incarnate in Jesus, it, he's done for everyone. So it, it's this personal story between God and Mary. And yet in Mary, it's also our story in that mm-hmm. God is a personal God. He shows each of us great favor just simply because we're now adopted in the son through the spirit. We are now in Christ. And the father now looks at you and at me and at all of us as beloved sons and beloved daughters. So this feeling of awe and victory and worship that Mary feels and her song of praise, she does on our behalf because it's our story too. God has looked on us, the least, the last, the little, the lost, as Capon, uh, Robert Capon likes to say, those that seem to be dead to society. And he has given us favor. Mary recognizes that she's entered the unfolding story of God's fidelity to Abraham and his seed way back in in the story in Genesis 12, where he promises that all nations will be blessed through you. And she's now a part of this story that continues to unfold generation after generation. And so just as she's a part of it, we now get to be a part of it, too. Hmm. Well, with that in mind, oh, favored one, Al Korjava, what else would you like for us to see and hear from this passage? Uh, two, two things. Um, and the first I'll just point to somewhere else, and that is the place of Israel in God's heart. He did not abandon them at the cross any more than he abandoned 
ever abandoned Gentiles. They, they've always been a part of his plan. And I, I, I can't articulate as well, but T.F. Torrance in his book, The Mediation of Christ, just does such a great job of, of recognizing that. And so I'll just point to that way, because that was something that jumped out in this passage, that Mary is part of that, that Jewish story and that Jesus comes within Israel's story for Israel. You know, Paul goes, when Paul goes out, he would go to the synagogues first and he wanted to share the story with the Jews. And then he would then share it with the Gentiles because the stories for both. And then the other thing that uh, in this passage that I really like is God sees us. Um, you, it's, it's the Zacchaeus that you mentioned um, just previously, right? It, he's in this tree. He's a short little guy. He's in, in a tree trying to get a glimpse of, of Jesus. And Jesus sees him. Jesus sees Hannah, who is sitting there and, and she wants to have a child so badly. And she's praying and she goes to the temple year after year. And God sees her. And then there's this beautiful story with Hagar when, when Hagar takes Ishmael and leaves because um, Sarah is just uh, torturing her practically and giving her such a hard time. And God says, Hagar, wh where are you going? And and talks to her and says that you, you're your son Ishmael and, and says what her the name of Ishmael will be. And it's God hears. So God hears us. And then Hagar goes, uh, names this place and it's, and she names it because you are the God who sees me. So it's these these little people, the, the Hagars and the Hannahs and the Zacchaeuses and you and me, and that God sees us. He cares for us. And and in Mary's song, I think that's where it comes out. She's she's a nobody. She she's a nobody, and yet God sees her and includes her in his wonderful plan that he has for all of us. Your reflections made me think of Luke chapter 13, a recent lectionary passage where Jesus is in the synagogue teaching and he sees a woman who had been bent over for 18 years mm -hmm. and calls her forward to participate in her healing that day based on his loving initiative. And this is who God is. And I think this is why Mary sings with all of her hearts and where we can sing too, because as it says in verse 50, he shows mercy to everyone. Yeah. That's all of us. We are the lowly who have been lifted high in the ascension. Uh, hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. And I love that what you just said. He takes the initiative. That That's what's so wonderful about this God. He mm. takes the initiative. And ah, oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our next uh, passage for the month. It's Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for Advent 4, which is on December the 18th. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look! 
a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. The author Robert Capon once described talking about God as throwing analogies against a mystery. <laughs> or, you know, or, I love that. Articulating the implications of the incarnation of the Son of God is nearly an impossible task, Al. And yet, we, we try. We try to put words to it. So tell us about the birth of Jesus. Oh, if I'm going to trip up, th- this is it because it, it's kind of almost beyond our language. Uh, mm. And it's why we have to then refer use things like metaphors and uh, poetry to try and capture something that that's so beyond just straightforward words. And uh, I'm going to refer to another author, C.S. Lewis. As I came across his readings, he uses an analogy that really helped for me, and that was a cube and a square. And he was talking about that as a square, we only a square only lives in, in two dimensions, and it can only understand two dimensions. It can understand one dimension and two, but a cube is 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 in three dimensions, and the square is just not going to be able to understand the cube. But the cube can understand the square because part of the cube is that that square part, that two dimensions. And where C.S. Lewis was going with that analogy is that God not that God is a cube, but that God is is God. And we can't use creation and things of creation to describe the Trinity. We, we can't go there because God is not a part of his creation. He is the creator. But what's amazing, and, and this is what blows me away, is that God, even though he's beyond us in, in creation and we're only created beings, God wants us to know him. He wants to reveal it to reveal himself to us like this cube wants the square to actually know the cube in in one sense so god god isn't limited whereas the cube is limited he can't make the square understand three dimensions god's not limited and he actually does something that blows us away he makes himself known by coming down and becoming one of us he he reveals himself to us by becoming one of us, human, fully human, born of a woman, just like you and me. And then in this person of Jesus Christ, in his birth, we then find out that God is a relational God. We have a father who says, this is my son whom I love. And we have this spirit flowing through the son. And the son says, I only do what the father I tells me to do. And I, I see my father at work and I, I participate. And so we find out that this God is a relational God. And so this God who's the creator, and we're only the creation, has somehow figured out a way to actually reveal himself to us. Not not everything, because we can't fully comprehend God, but enough to know that this is a relational God who's willing to humble himself and become one of us. In one sense, it's the ultimate in place sharing. You know, we didn't come up with this phrase, place sharing. God actually shows us what place sharing is. He comes and sets up his tent with us. John 1 verse 14, right? He makes his dwelling with us. It's like he's setting up his tent. You know, when you go on a drive and you stop at a rest area, yeah, you stop, you stretch your legs, and then you go again. 
But when you go camping, you bring a tent, you bring sleeping gear, you bring food and you set up the tent and you're planning to stay there for a while to actually be part of this campsite and, and be part of it. And so when it says God sets up his tent with us, he comes and actually dwells with us. He, he plays shares with us by actually experiencing humanity as we experience humanity. He experiences hunger. He experiences cold. He experiences um, being rejected and uh, betrayal. Disciples leave him. He, he experiences blooding up his knee. He experiences joy. And he also has this experience. He shows us what true life is because he has the experience of the Father and the Spirit and being in communion with them and showing us that that's that's what his intentions are for us. Hmm. Carl Barth, and I'm paraphrasing, talked about how we cannot comprehend God, as you mentioned. At best, we can apprehend, you know, get glimpses. But thanks be to God that he wants to reveal himself in self-revelation in the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And this is why the incarnation is so mind-boggling, that he would stoop to our level, you know, just <laughs> yeah. just to be with his kids, you know, sort of like you as a parent getting down on the floor with your child yeah. to play with them, to, to meet them where they are, that, you know, the actual true Sabbath would walk into a synagogue on the Sabbath day, you know, just to be <laughs> with his people. It is mm-hmm. astonishing. May we never lose the awe and wonder of the incarnation mm-hmm. of our Lord. Yeah. Well, let's, let's think about Joseph and his actions toward Mary for a moment. Mm. What, if anything, can his actions teach us? Well, first, what jumps out at me is Joseph's respect for Mary right from the start. You know, if you know a bit about the culture at that time, the patriarchal system, the way husbands could treat their wives the way men, uh, Jewish men, could treat women. In this story, Joseph could could have behaved and acted in a whole lot of ways when he finds out that Mary was pregnant. Mm -hmm. But... And, and those ways could have ruined Mary's life or at least caused her a tremendous amount of pain. But right from the beginning, he wanted to honor her and respected her. You know, even the, the thought of divorcing her quietly so that it didn't cause her any more grief than she was already going to feel being pregnant out of wedlock. So we see right from the beginning, this is a man who wanted to respect a, a female and that right there I think was in that culture tells us a bit about Joseph and then we see his faith and obedience to God because when God tells him no you're going to marry um, Mary he obeys he obeys God's instructions after the dream so we see his respect for Mary and we see him honoring God by not consummating the marriage after until after Jesus was born so he, he follows God's instructions Mary's Mary's uh Mary <laughs> and then mm-hmm. but then he also doesn't consummate because he knows that this is this is sacred there's something special going on and he allows Mary to go through the full pregnancy and Jesus is born um, as, as the passage tells us mm-hmm. yeah that's I, I, I'm just thinking about what you stated in terms of just the way he honored her, respected her, and he had at his disposal societal options that would have really belittled and humiliated her. Mm-hmm. And, and in that way, he embodied our Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus could shame us, 
<laughs> he, 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 I mean, he literally has every right to belittle our uh, waywardness, but he doesn't. He, even yeah. in the midst of great mocking and pain on the cross, mm-hmm. he says, Father, forgive them, as he reveals the heart of, of the Father. So I thank God for Joseph in the way that he's reflecting reality that we experience with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, Al, the witness of both testaments in Scripture seem to point, and they don't just seem to, they do point to a God who really likes his kids, who wants to be with his people. And so we have a God named Emmanuel, God with us, which explicates that reality. So how, quote unquote, does the withness of God, um, what does it teach us? What is our response to it? What do you want to share with us? Oh, boy, this this is a good one. That's a good question. Boy, we could go quite a while on this, so I'll try to um, refrain from going too long. But, I mean, Jesus himself defines, as I mentioned earlier, place sharing with us. God comes and place shares with us. And um, I heard this once, I think it was Randy Bloom one time, mentioned that the incarnation is God's radical affirmation of our humanity. He takes on our humanity. And then uh, I, it, I first heard this line from Elmer Kohler, uh, but he might have been quoting Torrance, and that God does not want to be God without us. So he chooses to be God with us. And he's going, and both testaments say, they will be, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the, and that's mm-hmm. the beautiful concluding image in Revelation. I will be their God and they will be my people. And it's not us going off somewhere. It's that God comes to us. Even in Revelation, even in the the final coming, God comes to us and there's a new heaven and a new earth where it's together, where we are in the full presence of God. So this God, this creator of the universe, the the one who's created everything, who is complete in and by himself in the three persons of the Trinity and lacks nothing, chooses to be God with us. Wow. His his creation, we're, we're just his creation. We're lowly humans who continue to rebel against him time and time again. And yet every time we rebel against him and turn our backs, God continues to say no to our no and chooses to be God with us. And it wasn't just this one time where where Jesus comes and, and is on earth for 30 years with us. He then sends the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence. The Spirit of the Son is now flowing through us and the body of the church. And then it doesn't stop then either. In, in Jesus's final coming, God is with us. And so we get to be with him in his full glory for all eternity. So this is definitely a God who shows us time and time again from the beginning of the story when he's walking in the garden uh, looking for Adam and Eve to the very end when he comes down and says, I will be their God and they will be people. This is a God who wants to be with us. Mm-hmm. And that is what can really humble us again and again. And it's also something that we can truly cling to. When we know, when we mess up, when we goof up, when we just make our sin again and we're like why am i still doing this why am i frustrating with this this is what we can cling to is that this is a god who wants to be god with us he chooses to dwell with us ah, even if we don't deserve it 
this is what he yeah. wants to do and he just continues to invite us I, I like to use the word like drawing he's continually drawing us to him like a magnet he just draws us to him because he loves us so much he wants to be with us yeah that's such a good word such an encouraging word during advent because part of advent is this longing this anticipation this waiting for the arrival of god to be with us and he is and it, it's mm-hmm. like you said and i think this is an important word to bring up that even as we talk about kind of the eschatological truth of of jesus's um second coming we cannot rightfully talk about it as if god in jesus christ is not here by his spirit and sometimes you get this disconnect like oh we're just waiting for the fullness of the kingdom as if god is not with us now but he is even if we we don't sense it and and really isn't that a big part of the christian walk that the god um that we have with us in the holy spirit opens the eyes of our heart to see the reality of god's presence you know with us in the here and now it's this growing in our awareness of god's power and presence by the holy spirit so this is such a fantastic word at a time of advent in a time of chaos and disconnection to know that god is with us and he's going to see his good promises through amen and amen amen and if i if i could just add anthony you know, that that disconnect you're talking about when we think about, oh, Jesus isn't here with us. He went and ascended to heaven. Well, the great news is, is that we ascended with him. You know, he took mm-hmm. us with us. Paul says that we only see things darkly right now because we're with Jesus. So whether it is in heaven where Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne or whether it's down here on earth, Jesus is with us because his spirit, as you were just saying, flows through us. So so Jesus is with us. And if we think all oh, Jesus is up there somewhere in heaven, well, we're with him there because he rose with us. That, that this, this union with Christ was so important to Paul that he says it like 172 times, one way or another, that we are in Christ, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. One way or another, he says it over and over again because we are our life is in christ so we are so united with him so when he died we died with them when he rose we rose with them when he ascends to heaven he takes us with them and dwells at the right hand so we are always with christ that is the only way to have life is our union with christ that is our life there is no life outside of that so he comes in the incarnation to show us that he is with us and then the whole story of the New Testament is that he is always with us, whether he dies and goes into the grave, whether the grave is empty, whether he, he's resurrected, whether he ascends, we are always with Jesus because we are now united with him. Yeah, that's that's so powerful and hard to, again, comprehend that yeah. there is this double movement of grace that mm. we are in Christ. And so, therefore, we do what Christ does. We move fo- closer to the yeah. Father. That's what love does. It always moves closer to the other. Uh, and that's what obedience looks like, too, as Jesus is obedient to the Father. But also, he mm. is with us by the Spirit. So, mm. as I'm frying my eggs in the morning, he's there. <laughs> as yeah. I found, find myself in sin, he is there. When I'm loving my family well or not, he is there. And always uh, through love, not just leaving us where we are, you know, helping us to mature into himself, who is the head of the church. So hallelujah, praise God. It's like you said at the top when I asked the question, we really could spend an entire podcast, a series of podcasts, 
trying to describe this withness that we have with God in God. Hallelujah. I, I love that phrase you just used, double movement. That That's beautiful. And that we can just, just chew on that, just take that with you, that double movement. And and it's God, God moving towards us, but then God drawing us towards him. And then it's in mm. Jesus's obedience that we're able to draw towards him. And so God, again, initiates both, but it's this double movement that we get to participate in. So that, that's a great phrase that you used. Yeah. Well, brother man, it's Christmas Day. Let's move on to our final pericope of the month. It's Luke chapter 2, 1 through 14 and 15 through 20 from the Common English Bible. It is a revised common lectionary passage for Christmas Day, December the 25th. Al, please read it for us. Okay. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax list. This first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city, called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage, and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you. Wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You'll find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Not a bad job pronouncing Quirinius. I see. I can't say it. (laughs) You did. I did excellent work. (laughs) I bet you did, brother. Well done. Uh, we don't name our kids that anymore. We should we should rectify that. Well, Al, it's Christmas Day. By the way, what'd you get me for Christmas? Ooh, um, it's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> like Ed McMahon and my uh, big prize. It's in the mail. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, are there any Christmas traditions your family um, has been doing through the years that you'd be willing to share with our listening audience? And and what does the Christmas season mean to you? All right. Well, if I, I have to give a little bit of background first because my wife and I did not grow up celebrating Christmas. It wasn't part of either of our family's tradition. And so when we were married and started having kids, we, we did discuss, well, what are we going to do as a family? And it's been a it's been an interesting journey trying to figure out what traditions we wanted to establish for our family because we didn't come from any tradition. So in one, sl- one sense, it was great because we started with a blank slate, but in another sense, it's kind of hard starting traditions when you don't even know what, what to do, what's going to have meaning or not. And few things never really stuck, but the two things that have seemed to stick for our family is first off, uh, my wife bought an advent calendar uh, with cards and each day of advent um, is a 
name or title for Jesus and a passage that goes along with it. So at dinner time during Advent, when we're kind of done eating or near the end, one of the kids gets to the card and they get to read the name and then they get to read the passage and whatever discussions might come from that. So that's been enjoyable. And then because the cards we then hang up around the living room, uh, my wife puts a beautiful string around the, the, um, the walls and then we can see those uh, words, those titles for Jesus throughout the whole month. And then when it gets to Christmas Eve time, uh, one of the channels here does Carols by Candlelight. And in Melbourne, they put on this huge concert uh, singing hymns and carols. And a lot of people in Melbourne will go to that and sit on the park. And you have to remember that here in December, it's summertime. So it's usually yeah. pretty good warm weather. So people can bring their picnic blankets and sit out and and so our family, uh, my wife's a great cook, and she makes homemade fudge, and she'll make some chocolate fondue, and we have strawberries, and we have fudge, and some other uh, neat little snacks, and we'll just put on the carols by candlelight, and uh, they sing songs like Holy Night, um, O Jerusalem, they do the Hallelujah Chorus from um, the uh, Handel's Messiah, and so you get some of the top artists uh, from Australia singing that night. And so we get to sit back, enjoy some um, lovely food and enjoy some wonderful carols. And how, However, last week I did see a post that in Iceland, they on Christmas Eve, they exchange books and then spend the rest of the night reading and eating chocolate. So that might be something we need to uh, incorporate <laughs> into our um, night. I wouldn't mind doing that, doing a bit of a reading that night. <laughs> Well, speaking well, of chocolate, you mentioned chocolate fondue. What time should we show up at your house? Uh, We're invited, right? About seven thirty. Uh, it should be already. We're done with dinner, and my wife's hat is all out. So you're all welcome. <laughs> seven thirty, my house. <laughs> Y'all come. I love it. Yeah. You know, it, the the passage mentions that Jesus, the firstborn child, was wrapped snugly. And sometimes mm -hmm. I, I wonder, as we think about a nativity scene, it can be a bit sanitized and glamorized. Mm -hmm. And I, does it do a disservice to the depths our Lord humbly submitted himself to the human condition? I'm curious for your thoughts. I would agree that it does. And again, my very smart wife, uh, she says that when she became a mom, this whole passage changed for her. Because as a mom, she then, this, this passage took on new meanings for her with G the depths of Jesus's humility. He was born a baby, which means that he had to have his diaper or nappy, as we say in Australia, changed for him. He was completely at the mercy of Mary and Joseph to be fed, clothed, provided for. He went through that entire stage of baby and childhood and having to learn to walk and, and read and write and feeds oneself. So... Yeah, it, it's, it can be a disservice when we forget about that Jesus really, when, it, when we talk about humble, he humbled himself to the, all of the human experience, including being a baby that has to be completely looked after. Yeah, it's, and, I, that's staggering. Yeah. Continue. And, and one of the other thoughts with the, the whole sanitizing the, this service, I think part of it can also be in relation to those of us in the Western world. Because if you think back to Mary's Magnificat that we talked about, she talks about it with Jesus coming, it's a reversal. It's God turning 
an upside down world right side up. Mm. However, those of us in first world countries sometimes forget that we are the ones who can be proud. We are the ones that can be powerful. We are the ones that have full bellies. So I'm talking here to myself that, that this inflection that I need to think about is maybe this good news of the poor being fed and the rich going away empty handed isn't the sanitized good news that we in prosperous countries make it out to be. In the humility of Jesus' birth, the manger of animals, the, the nobodies involved in, in Jesus' birth, it's also a time for us for reflection, a time to stop and ask, is our part in this birth narrative maybe different than we assume? Right? Th think about who is at the birth and who isn't. First notice who is not there. No Caesar, no King Herod, no chief priest from the temple, no army general, no politicians, none of the rich and famous, none of those that we usually would, in our current culture, that we think are important, having status, worldly leaders. But notice who is there. Joseph and Mary, two nobodies from Nazareth. No one had ever heard of them up to this point. And until Jesus had his ministry and the, the disciples and apostles start sharing the good news after Jesus is risen, and then some of them start writing down these, this gospel good news, we would have never have known of Joseph and Mary. Just two people having a baby. I mean, that happens all the time. And then you have these unnamed shepherds. They were the nomads at the time, right? They'd be our modern day immigrants who are willing to work for less than minimum wage. They're just wandering from job to job, living out in the fields with the sheep, no hot running water, and then eight days later, Jesus is presented at the temple. And there's a guy named Simeon, and there's an old lady named Anna. These are the people that get to witness the birth of humanity's salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. It's witnessed by a bunch of nobodies. And the who's who of Judea and the Roman Empire, they're nowhere to be found. They're off running the world, or at least think they are. And yet the king is born and they're they're too busy doing their other things so it's this this chance as you talk about you know we can have this little manger scene and the snow falling and and the shepherds around and the wise men and in the, these little manger scenes that we narratives like we put up but yeah we can start to sanitize it and think of the joy of, of a baby born but it's also it, it's a comeuppance it's, it's one of these scenes where we need to stop and reflect and go are we actually there with Joseph and Mary, or are we actually with the Caesars and, and the Herods in the palaces and mm -hmm. off doing our own thing and, and a bit too busy, busy during this season to actually stop and go, oh, wait a minute. The king has been born and he's humbled himself. And that's what he, he wants us to follow in his footsteps and all that to be that, that humble one. And if, if we're um the rich and we got the full bellies then we need to be maybe pausing going who do i need to feed who is out there that i can help who is out there that i can give comfort to warmth to who's out there that might be sleeping in a manger that i can open my home to um, and, and i'm talking metaphorically here but but some might be literally might be figuratively of how can we look out for the joseph and mary's out there and and in invite them and let them belong and look after them. That's quite insightful what you said, you know, who's there and who's not. And 
that uh, that brought me to this moment of thinking about the incarnation, the, the birth of the God child, that um, with it is certainly the grace that God showed up on a scene, pitched the tent, as you said earlier, mm-hmm. but also comes with it a judgment that we needed a savior born to us, right? Mm-hmm. We needed a king. Yeah. And so that's what I hear you reflecting on, that as we look at the story, you know, often when we come to a narrative scripture, we, we if we think of ourselves in the story, have you noticed how we we generally make ourselves the good guys? We're, oh, you know, yeah. we're with the good guys, you know, we're the ones oh, yeah. doing it right. But what I hear you saying is really uh, an important thing that we also need to stop and reflect. Um, where am I and truly in this story? Would would I be there? Would I would I come to see um, the wondrous, joyous news that's good for all people, or would I be too busy doing my own thing, building my own kingdom when the king of the true kingdom has shown up on the scene? So thank you for that word. It's it's important for us to reflect on, even at a time like Christmas. And and that's what grace teaches us to do, right? We we sometimes yeah. think of grace as even warm and fuzzy, sort of like we think of the Christ child being born in a manger, but grace tells us to say no to ungodliness, right? That's what Titus right. teaches us. So it's, it's a truth-telling grace grace that yes. uh, yeah. we get to reflect upon. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm struck that in verse 9, the people were terrified when God showed up on the scene, when uh, the Lord's angel, um, or his representative, I should say, showed up on the scene. And w- we see that often in scripture that people are terrified uh, when something of the glory of heaven shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about that. What's going on? Uh, uh- in, in contemplating on this and, and doing a little reading, I came across a quote by A.W. Tozer, who observed uh, about 50 years ago. He said, the greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him, to fear mm-hmm. and not be afraid. That is the paradox of faith. And I thought, yeah, he just captured that really well. And the image that came to my mind is it is the one of a moth being drawn to one of those bug zappers, right? The light is brilliant from a moth perspective. It's this brilliant light and it, it draws the moth to it, but it's also being drawn to its death. In Luke's gospel story of the calling of the disciples after the miracle catch of fish, Peter's first exclamation is, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And yet, it says the disciples got out of the boat and followed Jesus. So he says to go away from me, I'm sinful. But then he follows Jesus. So we get a glimpse of the glory of God. And we see simultaneously God's goodness, God's holy love, God's all-consuming love, and our sinfulness embedded in our very core and our complete destruction if in our current bodies we were to encounter the full glory of God. God's all-consuming love means that he wants all of us. Not one part is left to our own devices. C.S. Lewis calls this the intolerable compliment, that God is not willing to let any part of us, no dark corner, no little bit, not be redeemed and reconciled to Him. Sometimes we want to compromise with God and say, okay, I'll give you this part of my life, but let me keep control of this part of my life. We either think we know better how to run that part of our life, or we like that part of our life the way it is, and we're afraid God's just going to mess it up if he gets his hands on it. He'll, he'll want to purify us, and, and well, there goes our fun. But the only way to truly live into the abundant life that God has for us is to submit our entire lives to him, 
every part. And God won't be satisfied unless he has every part. When we get a glimpse of that all-consuming love, we recognize that it truly is all-consuming. Like a refiner's fire, all our impurities are going to be melted away until we are the masterpiece that that great artist God has designed each and every one of us to be. One of my favorite passages is Ephesians 2, and in the New Living Translation, it, it calls us God's masterpiece. He is the master artist, and each one of us is a masterpiece, and He won't finish with us until we are fully done. We are the masterpiece He designed us to be. And what's encouraging in this passage is even though the shepherds were frightened, what they're invited to witness the birth of Jesus. So even in our in our fear, God tells us do not be afraid because what he has planned for us is an invitation. He's inviting us to join in with the love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been participating in for all time and always will. So it's an invitation. It's, it's terrifying because he's going to refine us so that we can participate in it. But once that that masterpiece is done when each and every one of us is done we will get to fully participate in that love for all time and so it's i love what tozer said it's just a paradox of there's this greatness of god but there's also his encouragement um do not be afraid i heard one time that that's the most often quoted that's the most often cited command in the bible do not be afraid because he doesn't want us to fear he wants us to live submit and live into this perfect love that he has designed for us Hmm. that's a good way to end and i'm i'm looking at verse 14 glory to god in heaven and on the earth peace among those whom he favors he favors you friends merry christmas to you all al it's been a joy having you on the podcast today merry christmas to you and your family thank you so much for the keen insights by the spirit that you provided for us here today and i also want to thank our fine producer ruel anario and our transcriber elizabeth mullins they do a fantastic job which makes this podcast possible brother i love you you are a beloved child of the living God. And as is our tradition on the Gospel Reaver podcast, we'd love to end with prayer. And I know you'd like to share a benediction as well. Yes. And let me just say again, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. I love listening to Gospel Reverb and yeah, now to actually be a part of it in this way. I just really appreciate it. And if I may also say back to you, Anthony, you are a beloved son of the father and uh, how wonderful that is and a merry christmas to you and to all our listeners as well and yeah if you would uh, join me in in prayer <sighs> loving god we give you thanks we thank you so much for who you are we thank you that you continue to reveal to us who you are and in that process we learn who we are we're your beloved in christ we are your beloved sons and daughters and we just thank you for these scriptures, these holy scriptures which you've given us so that we can reflect and draw deeper into that relationship with you. I just pray for those that will be reflecting on these passages and and sharing them and teaching from them over the, the month of Advent. I just pray that your Holy Spirit just guides them and gives them your words so that in, in each of their messages and in their teachings, they bring glory to you. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. And now, may the God of hope 
the Lord of love and the spirit of comfort fill all of you with joy, peace, hope, and love so that it fills and overflows from you into others this Advent season. Amen. Thank you for being a guest of Gospel Reverb. If you like what you heard, give us a high rating and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Share this episode with a friend. It really does help us get the word out as we are just getting started. Join us next month for a new show and insights from the RCL. Until then, peace be with you.